Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Hi, Mama. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. Today, we have an international guest on the podcast, Jess, who is the author of the Careers After Babies report. I stumbled across this, I think, on LinkedIn, and I absolutely consumed the report front to back, um, inside out, shared some of the key stats and data on LinkedIn, and I know that a number of this uh, data and stats really resonated with people that, that saw it. And it's a report that really validates uh, some of the experiences of working mums and particularly women that are returning back into the workforce after parental leave. So I reached out to Jess, uh, just cold. She agreed to come onto the podcast. So I was very, very lucky. And we then have a chat now about the report and her experiences as well about being a mum and also managing her career and her businesses. So really enjoyed. I'll also provide a link to the report in the show notes. As always, it'd be great if you'd be able to give a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and also share this with any of your friends or colleagues that you think might be interested. So enjoy today's episode. Welcome, Jess. Welcome to the Australian Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? Well, a mixed day so far. It's very rainy over here. Yeah, come opposite end of the day for you. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. So Jess has actually created the Careers After Babies report. I loved it. Even though it's from the UK, I think it's an amazing body of work. And we'll get into that shortly. But as you can hear from Jess's accent, she's not Australian. She's actually from the UK. (laughs) So Jess, how do you best describe yourself and what's been your career journey to date? Gosh, so I was a strategy and distribution director for an insurance company. And when I was there, I think I always thought that I was, I don't know, maybe quite quite boring, working in a boring industry. <laughs> but I'll, I'll talk about it more in a second. But I think now having kind of come to run my own business and really be working with something that I massively value and that's really important to me I think I'm not those things at all I think it's amazing how you can let a job define you and actually I think I'm really passionate I'm really driven and also really organized I have four young children so like this house has to run like a military operation (laughs) four four kids hats off to you Yeah, it's a bit mental. (laughs) So my so my career journey so as I said I was I was in a large corporate I had been on all of the talent programs, I was in succession plans, I had about 600 people working for me and a couple of hundred million pounds worth of income. Uh, it, was, it was a really big job and I one day I took our strategy for our division up to the, the big board and I uh, presented it to them and one of them said to me, so what's it like to be a young female in, in, an insur- in our insurance company? And I asked him if he would like my honest answer, to which he said yes. I bet he wished he'd never asked that question. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, it's really tough. I said, I'm, you know, I'm the only person that looks like me, the only person that sounds like me. You know, I'm constantly surrounded by men in their mid to late 50s. And I can't really see how the next five years of my career plays out. So a long story short, I was tasked with setting up the diversity and inclusion committee for that organisation. And that was about 10, 12 years ago now. So it's just sort of as these things were starting to kick off. And I led the gender and working family strand for the remainder of my time there. 
when I fell pregnant with baby number one, I went back to work after five months on a flexible working arrangement. For me, five months was way too soon. And I know we've just been talking about kind of maternity um, periods and that sort of thing in Australia and how they differ from the UK. So over here, you're um, allowed to take up to 12 months off um, pay, pay varies by, by organisation, same as it does for you. But I went back after five months so that I could protect my role because you're only entitled to go back to the same job if you return within six months. So I went back. I was a mess, uh, you know, an absolute mess. I completely lost all my confidence. I you know, didn't, didn't know who I was anymore. And I really struggled to find my voice around that boardroom table. And which I think is is really common among women, actually. And it meant that I only really lasted in that job for about another year till I fell pregnant with my second daughter, at which point I thought, I can't, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this with, you know, two young children and this job as it is. So I ended up leaving. And it devastated me. You know, my career was a massive, massive part of my identity and had been for a long time. Um, I was really, really sad about it. So I sort of licked my wounds probably for eight or nine months. Yeah, sat around feeling sad. No, I went on lots of walks with the babies and it was great. But I realised that I needed something else. I drove myself absolutely nuts, you know, thinking about nappies and butternut squash purees and things. wasn't, <laughs> wasn't quite enough for me. So I decided to set up a platform called That Works For Me, which the idea behind which was to bring together skilled mums who could only work sort of part-time or remotely you know less than full-time hours and to connect those with smaller organizations who need that high level of skill but don't need them for for sort of full-time hours as we call them and that was great that's kind of, I launched that during COVID which well we, you know we'll pretend that year didn't happen but after that it was great <laughs> and we've had we've had some real success doing it we won entrepreneur of the year award with an organization over here called enterprise nation a diversity and inclusion award with tech nation and it really sort of raised the profile of the business so we started doing a bit more work with corporates as well but i think it's quite it's a different proposition you know trying to and trying to link people with smaller businesses and you know trying to be a, a recruitment partner for for corporate companies is quite different so in recent years we've sort of been winding that back a bit then we, gosh, what happened next? So I'd, I'd sort of started doing much more consultancy. So I had more businesses sort of saying to me, Jess, we're great at hiring in women and we keep them up to the point that they have children. And then they just disappear. You know, they either leave or or they just, yeah. Or <laughs> Don't just, return, you know, they vanish. Well, yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, they, they just disappear. And I, so I've done, been doing some work in that space basically to help businesses try and hang on to women and just trying to make the connection between massive gender pay gap, gender inequality in leadership, you not looking after your women during maternity. Over it's amazing here, how like, they all connect, but people don't necessarily yeah, always join the dots. funny? Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. So over here, in fact, the, the gender pay gap up to the age of 30 is 1.5%. And by the age of 40, it's gone up to 14%. You know, when you're like, hmm, what else happens to women wow. <laughs> between <Yeah>. 30 <laughs> and 40? <laughs> let's, let's have a think about this. And actually, the average age over here now for women having their first babies is 30. So it's, you know, it literally couldn't be clearer. Yeah, it's always one of those things that, yeah, it's like women, you know, they think about their careers they go gung-ho and then they have children yeah. and then organisations just think they vanish. and yeah. But they don't. They come back just like we talked about, but they still yeah. want a career. 
Yeah, exactly. So we, which which leads us on quite nicely. So I'd been I'd been kind of doing more of that consultancy stuff, and then we last year. So there's over here we have these cross parliamentary working groups. They're called. So it will be sponsored by some MPs, and they they bring in different experts from different organisations. And I'd been invited to the Women at Work event. And in a bid to sound intelligent, I thought I'm just going to do another quick search, make sure I've got some data that I can quote, you know, when you're like, right, you know, I want to make sure, make sure I do a good job here. And I couldn't, I've never been able to find the sort of empirical data that says this is what happens to women when after they have kids, you know, this is how many are falling out of their careers. This is, this is what they want and need. So I thought I'll just do that myself. I'll set up like a, a little survey and I'll get some people to answer that. And then at least I'll have a data set to point to when it comes up. That I was expecting, I don't know, maybe like 50, 100 responses if I was lucky. And that went up to just shy of just shy of 900. And I thought, oh, gosh, I need to close this now because I'm going to have to sit and analyze all this data, <laughs> which, is, which is not my not my favorite thing to do. But but it was amazing, actually. Do you know what? You know, when you you know, when you start reading through the responses and I was just like, wow, this is an incredibly powerful data set I've got here. And the stories that women shared with me, I just thought I've got a real I felt a real duty to do something with that and to explain it and put it across to the rest of well, I wasn't expecting the world but I'd like to say you know the rest of my sort of followers on LinkedIn to say you know do you realize that this is what's happening and that was the basis of the careers after babies report wow and it's definitely I know we don't have time to deep dive into it but the stats I think are really relevant I know definitely mm-hmm. from an Australian perspective that that's why when I, I've forgotten how it saw it, it just came across my LinkedIn. And when I saw it, I was like head first into this report. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, like ding, 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 exactly to the stats yeah. of what you were saying. It really validates what you're so much about. Like as one of those top line things of 98% of women, in fact, do want a career where there's yeah. so many misconceptions. Oh no, women, once they become a mom, they don't really want to. But as your report showed, no, no, we do. And I think it just, it busts a lot of myths. So it's been really interesting, the amount of women that have got in touch with me saying, I thought it was only me that this happened to. So I thought I was the only person who ended up losing my job because I had kids. I didn't realise like it was happening on this bigger scale. And I think in terms, exactly like you've just said that, you know, we've been fed this narrative for a long time around women not wanting to return to work. And 50 years ago, that may well have been the case. But in our report, it was 98% of women want to go back. There's also another interesting stat over, and I'm not sure what if there's an equivalent for Australia, but the 74% of families in the UK have dual working parents. So both parents need to work in order to support their families. And I think that's pretty telling as well. Mm. You know, it's not, it's another, for me, that's a, that's, that's a really interesting stat around. So what type of work are those women doing because actually if we're not allowing them back into their professional setting at the same level they were before on the same money and again this was another key thing that came out of the report there was a 33% drop off at management um, level roles and a 44% increase in admin roles Mm. that just makes me want to absolutely blow my top how utterly outrageous that we're just because we've had kids then all of a sudden we can't do as complex a job like it drives me absolutely crazy but if you then overlay that that 74% of 
of couples need to work we're I don't know again we're kind of bashing women back down saying oh well you can work but you can only work in jobs that are you know nice and easy that you can get your head around so that you can concentrate on the children too it just makes me crazy (laughs) I agree I agree it often gets my real goat up about when people are saying oh I want a career but then I've then it's the mental load at home about I've, I've come home and I've got to do everything at home and that's why I'm also a big one of share the mental load if you're both working you both need to do it you both need to take on care responsibilities you know it's taken two to tango and you know even about like the cost of childcare in Australia it's huge and I know for myself and my husband it's our second biggest expense after the mortgage with two kids and that's you know with 50% subsidy but you and then so many women go, oh, this is so much of my pay. Is it even worth working? And yeah. I did a post recently on Instagram and it was amazing the response of people saying, no, there's so many more benefits like superannuation, financial independence, yeah. self-identity, role modeling for children, and the list goes on. But, you know, people think, oh, I just want to leave work at work. I want to be easy. But then women will get down the track and go, no, I actually want more. And you're like, yes, yeah. just stay in it. And isn't it interesting? So the so the for me that comes down to the structure of work. So I don't think mm. it's even I don't think it's that we want an easy job because you know that's difficult alongside kids. It's about the amount of time, isn't it? So you yeah. everybody has a limited amount of time. What time do I have to apportion to work versus what time do I have to apportion at home? And I think one of the real sort of unbalances we have at the moment is that we women are wanting demanding needing flexible working so we're needing this kind of less than full-time hours and yet men are continuing to work full-time so over here they they recently introduced shared parental leave so there's a, a slight increase not as much as I would hope but there were more men sort of sharing that that 12-month leave period after after having a baby now, I think that I had hoped that number would be much higher. I think higher. I think the national average is 2% over here and the we found actually it was 7%. The bit that really annoyed me in the findings, though, is that only 25% of couples are even having a conversation about it. And for me, there is a big thing here about conversation starts at home. Mm. You know, nobody, nobody outside your home is going to suggest that you split your childcare more evenly I mean my poor husband from day one the second I was pregnant I was like you this kid is 50% yours yes. <laughs> so you're doing you are 50% of childcare you're 50% of cleaning etc and we've always he I don't know he's always known that up front and that was always part of the deal if we if we had them and that's the way it would work but I think there is still I don't know, this very traditional way of thinking that exists in a lot of couples about, oh, well, you have the baby, therefore it's your responsibility. And I think I think as women, we kind of owe it to ourselves and we owe it to each other to say, actually, no, this is our child. How are we going to manage it? Yeah, we, it, you know, it was, it was a bit of a dance between two people. And yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's but it's also sometimes about having those courageous conversations to break those stereotypes. Yeah. I was exactly the same way. I said to my husband, I'm not going to do all the cleaning. I'm not going to. My husband's like, you're not going to be a stay-at-home mum. I don't want to. He didn't actually want to wear the financial burden of being mm. the sole breadwinner. Not that I was never going to not have a career. But it's interesting. Of But you have those conversations and amazing also what opens up from it. But yeah. as you say, it's when you become pregnant, that's the time or even beforehand to have those kind of conversations. It always it always surprises me that that people don't. But again, something interesting that came out in the research and the report was the 
on this going back to the shared parental leave because I think that's sort of the biggest way over here at the minute that men are kind of able to make a difference the amount of women that said that because they can't see it happening so because men can't see other men taking shared parental leave they're not willing to Mm -hmm. do it themselves now I'm not saying all men are sheep (laughs) I'm just saying that they do prefer to see you know to see other people in in positions doing something if they're going to sort of step outside the norm and do it and I for me that really kind of harps back to the absolute necessity for role modeling around some of this you know so you need to see senior leaders working flexible work patterns you need to hear them talking about their children you need to see them sharing parental leave you know all of all of that I think is uh, sort of underpins the basis of a really family-friendly work culture. Yeah there was actually a body of research that was released last week in Australia that actually had, they were talking about the motherhood penalty, but then also then fathers that were taking on some of the extra care responsibilities, Mm. essentially equalizing it, that they were also experiencing a penalty as well around biases of of career and, and things like that. So it's interesting how just by seeing, you know, if you're a carer that, oh no, you know, you're not as career orientated or, you know, what I would have contributed and things like that as well. But on the flip side of that, you've also heard about organizations where senior fathers have actually taken parental leave and, you know, they've actually role modeled that within the organization. I was actually speaking with someone in my corporate job today, because I actually want to promote him as a working father and he's doing parental leave, but on split day. So he said he's actually taking two days a week to be there. He goes, I've got a project management job. I can't just go cold, but mm. I'm still going to be. So he's doing it in a very flexible way. So he's still there, but he's also then got sort of foot in both camps. So it's interesting how, you know, fathers are also adapting to to it. And I love his out of office that says I'm taking parental leave and this is what nice. I'm doing. So he's yeah. actually naming it, which I think is really good as well. Yeah, so important. I mean, I talk about one of the other things that I talk about is, you know, like even simple things like in your calendar, so saying I'm leaving to pick the kids up, not sort of sneaking off, leaving your backpack by the toilet and sneaking out the door when nobody's looking, you know, to go and pick the children up and things. Like it's, I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do again, because it sends a message to everybody else in the business that this is okay. And this is what we do. I spoke to a lady the other day who said, on her first day in a new company she was pulled in by the boss and the boss said to her look just so you know children come first and if ever you need to leave to do something for your children then that is okay and she said to her from day one like the the power that that that, that is huge. gave her and that is massive isn't it and just like that being feeling comfortable that if something did happen she knew it was okay to stick her hand up and say you know baby sick or I've had a, I've had the call from school whatever it might be but I again it's something quite small but something incredibly powerful those words would just be this even just hearing that this big weight off your shoulders of like okay because there's so many why did anything come out in your research why you know there is this bias around the caring arrangement and and also if you become a mother is there anything from that perspective that you found of why do we have this motherhood penalty and people's perceptions on mothers having a career after kids Oh, I think it harps back to how how the world used to be. You know, there were it's not that long ago that women weren't working. I think it what was it wartime was probably the sort of first big uplift where women started working. And this stuff takes takes time, doesn't it? I always think there were a few sort of events over history that have really impacted 
thinking around this and how it all works and certain legislation changes and things and I actually think COVID was possibly one of the biggest sort of working revolutions that we'll see during our, our time I always call it kind of the great national experiment for can I make homeworking work in my in my business well, I tell you what you're going to have to so don't yeah. find a way to do it you know if that hadn't happened then I don't think we would see nearly as many organisations offering flexibility in homeworking in the way that they do currently. I just, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like the role of women has changed so much and there are so many women in, we, we both start our careers at the same time, men and women, don't we? And we, women generally outperform at school, they generally outperform at university, they generally outperform in the early stages of their career. The thing that stops us is is having children mm. and it it just it just shouldn't. I, I, I said a stat to you earlier. So in this country, 83% of women will become mothers by the age of 45. That 83%. You just digest that. That's <laughs> almost everyone. If I don't, I'm, I'm looking actually at the minute for the the same stat on dads. But I think if you are a business and you're not thinking about how you support women through that transition then you're shooting yourself in the foot you know you've invested in you've invested in hiring them you've invested in training them you've been paying their wages and things for x amount of years why on earth wouldn't you be looking at how you support them through that sort of that transition period of their lives in order to enable them to continue having a career yeah and I think even I remember reading in your report that if women aren't supported particularly in that transition back that they'll leave that full-time role within two years, and yeah. which is just scary that, as you say, businesses have invested a huge amount of time for a relatively small investment. Mm. They can actually then potentially keep that employee for a much longer period of time, but they go, oh, it might be too hard and, oh, it's too much effort. But really, it isn't. No, and I, the killer stat for me is that eighty-five percent of mothers leave the full-time workforce, as, as and that full-time part is really important. So for me, that says for the majority of women working a full-time job alongside being a mother, it it, it just doesn't work. And I think most of us mums will kind of nod our heads and say, "Yeah, right, it doesn't." Mm. It especially doesn't work if you're asking for somebody to do all of that Monday to Friday, nine to five, when your kids are awake you know it just doesn't the two don't the two don't correspond you I, I might do full-time hours but it's very much I do you know nine till three when they're at school and then I work from sort of seven till ten at night and that's sort of how my my day is split throughout the week but again it just goes back to this the need for flexibility the need to think a bit more intelligently for me I think the kind of utopia here is pure outcome driven working so mm. I don't care when you work I don't care what you're doing all I care about is that you achieve your objectives that I need you to here's a company objectives here's yours away you go kind of do your job and I think when you trust your employees that really isn't beyond the the wit of man to achieve yeah I agree and even it's great to see I know that it's both in the UK and Australia and certainly other countries around the world the four-day working week and I think it's a really good way of actually starting that conversation. And I know I've gone from three days a week to four days a week this year. And even just noting the chat, noticing the change, I know in myself, I, yep, I used to work full time before kids. I probably wouldn't go back to full time, particularly at the moment with two young kids. Cause I'm like, no, I still want that day with my boys and just to also oh, yeah. get different things organized. But again, just a you know, it's the financial decision I've made also for my husband and I. I know he's jealous that he doesn't have that day, but I know my sister and her husband have actually gone four days each 
And so they're able to have that time with the kids. So it's, again, just making those decisions as well. That's that's what we do. So my husband, today is his day with the two youngest, actually. So he has Tuesdays with them. I have Fridays with them. And then the other three days, we sort of mix of kind of childcare. And then we we share pickups and drop-offs and things. Um, but it's a, it's a pattern that works for you, right, isn't it? That's what mm. we're, you know, it's what, what works in your relationship, what works in your jobs. I always think it's quite interesting. Another point I'd like to make is that we're, as humans, we're generally only productive for four to five hours a day. And you know what four to five hours a day fits in really nicely to? A school, school day. School hours. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be great if the world is that simple? <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's, you know, they've created these structures from, you know, it's a Henry Ford like 100 plus yeah. years ago of working in factories and, and slogging it out and getting the 40-hour work week. But we've adapted, technology's adapted, the way we work is adapted. And But the one thing that hasn't stayed, modifying is our work hours but I love what you were saying about focusing on outputs rather than you know looking at how many hours and I think back to when I was working full-time I remember sometimes on a Friday afternoon I was probably checked out by about 3 3 30 yeah. I was like now I'm done One for the day. for me yeah <laughs> and then you I remember sitting at my desk sometimes you're like clearing out emails you're doing things you're like I don't want to start anything new like this is such wasted time I could have gone home and actually done something I really enjoyed doing going for doing exercise or something but I was like the amount of wasted time just because I had to be there to be seen and leave at the right time and it's really interesting isn't it I remember hearing I was at a a talk a, a couple of years ago and I remember hearing a business owner saying I know that my employees aren't productive sort of 20% of the time and I know that nothing gets done on a Friday afternoon but I just cannot bring myself to say take that time off because it, it, it doesn't feel right and you know and you're like just listen to yourself this guy was like a wellness coach or something as well oh, like wow. they went into businesses yeah exactly and they're coaching on wellness and you know when you think I, one of the one of the things that I'm trying to unblock is just some of the attitudes around it you know have a look at your data look at what's happening listen to your people and just be be brave and make those changes you know there's a reason that many of the organizations that do this sort of thing are outperforming others and I think what another thing that I think is really interesting that COVID has brought around is it's given employees power really so we've we now have the power to be able to say actually do you know what I don't want to work like that and there are more organizations who are enabling that so I'm interested to see in future kind of how how that plays out so I great example actually I spoke to a lady a couple of days ago so she had three job offers on the table so she was a very like well-paid management consultant she'd spoken to these three different companies one of them massive salary but they wanted her in the office five days a week second one slightly lower salary but they wanted her in the office three days a week third one lower salary again but she got to choose her own hours and she could work around her kids guess which job she picked number three and number three exactly and it's not I think that is that's the difference now you know we are we are being given more control and, and more input and more yeah just more, more control over our lives I think and ultimately I think that's what we all want isn't it just to be able to do things in a way that works for us and works for our families yeah yeah definitely and it, one step that I really thought was very interesting and I know when I've shared this before it got a lot of traction and a lot of eyebrows were raised that you said it takes up to 10 years for a mum's career to recover after having children so as we were talking earlier what advice do you have for women that are at the early stages of planning to start a family so they can try and minimize this impact 
So the number one thing for me, and I have been out of everybody who's contacted me since we published this report, the the group that I'm most surprised about are the women that don't yet have children. But they're kind of saying this is on the radar for me in the next five years. My advice to them is think about the company that you're going to work for now. Ask the questions about family policies, about flexible working, about maternity policies. I think we've got to stop. We've got to stop being too shy to ask those questions. And actually, on the flip side of this, one of the one of the things that I do with organisations is I'd, I'd love to talk about it in a minute, actually. So we're working on an accreditation process for based on all of the findings of the report and all of my experience over the last few years. But one of my requirements for accreditation is that you're really public about your maternity, paternity, adoption, you know, all of these family policies that you need to know about if this is on your on your radar in the next few years um but yeah first one is that don't be shy about asking questions about investigating the next the next piece of advice I think is really if you if you're if this is sort of imminent for you I think there's a number of things that you can go you can do before you go on maternity leave to sort of prepare yourself for coming back one thing that I'm increasingly thinking about is asking looking at the flexible working options before you go off so maybe you try a few different work patterns obviously you don't yet have the baby but getting your your line manager at the time to understand what that would like how you could make it work you know what what works and what doesn't in terms of patterns then there's the physical preparation of you actually going off so one of the recommendations I make in the report are things like positivity files so mm. you and I both know when you come back to work you you have no particularly after a first baby I think you have no sense of who you are anymore you forgot that person who used to work here she doesn't exist anymore she's, nah, she's changed she's long gone. <laughs> yeah she's changed she's no longer here but instead you've got me so do yourself you know do yourself some some notes collate some feedback you know and it just has to be a couple of pages remind yourself on what you're what you're good at I remember somebody saying to me once write your CV before you go off on maternity leave not necessarily because you're going to be you might end up looking for another job but but you know do it while everything's still fresh and why you why you know kind of why you're good at your job because I think again we were talking about the study you go through such a a transformation when you become a mum we talked about matrescence being just such a beautiful way to describe it you go through such a transformation that it you do forget who you are and you do forget what that version of yourself is like and you know why she was great and everything that she contributed so anything you can do to get yourself ready for that to help when you come back I think is massively valuable. No, it's certainly great tips. And as what you say, just looking at the stats, start those conversations and and look for those organizations. I know I was actually considering leaving my corporate job before, even actually a few years before I had kids. And then a friend of mine said to me, Karina, don't leave. They're changing the maternity leave policy and up up the the weeks that you get. And I'm like, okay, good to know. So I didn't end up leaving or (laughs) even considering looking around because she goes, you don't want it. The, The leave's actually going to be good. So yeah. It's those things about holding and what we're hearing about, you know, the, during COVID, the great redundancy and people moving around. But as you see, as you said earlier from that person with the management consultant, people want to work for organisations that have got good, flexible workplaces that are supportive, yeah. that help with those transitions. So that war for talent is actually about war for flexible workplaces around and, you know, to uh, attract and retain those those talented people. Absolutely. I think, yeah, it's a huge contributing factor. So have you found, like, obviously we're going to have so many women, 83% is what you said in the UK, women that are going to have kids. 
Through your research, have you found some effective or really good tools, tips and resources to help support women in the workplaces also as part of that transition back in and retain their leadership positions? Because as you said, you know, 33% of women actually drop down from those leadership positions and they go into more admin roles. So because, you know, as one of these things about we we hear about women, about having more women leaders to help with more diverse workforces and things like that. So are you seeing some good examples about how we can try and work in this area yeah. and improve some of those numbers? Yeah, so there, there are some organisations, particularly over here, that are doing amazingly on on this front. And if I if I look at the sort of common factors between them, flexible working is absolutely massive focusing on retaining women is obviously is huge so if you know if an organization actively has things like a women's network or or a working families network that one's another a really good indication um we so what so what we actually do so but I mentioned we're working on this accreditation process at the minute so we look at it from four areas which I think is is always worth women thinking about too so we we look at what's the culture of that business like generally so if I if I work somewhere do I would I feel safe announcing my pregnancy you know would it be celebrated would everyone be happy and that goes for men and women so what you know do I see leaders actively looking after their children we talked about role modeling earlier so you know celebrating that is, is that talked about is it in is it in calendars are people you know talking about their kids the second part is about the actual leave itself and how's how that's managed so in there we tend to talk about things like communication strategies keep in touch days the relationship with the line manager we'll come back to that one in a second because I think that's absolutely massive but yeah well how how does that whole period feel do you still feel engaged with the business while you're off or equally if you want to be completely left alone did they leave you alone you know until an agreed until an agreed period the return to work what does that look like so are they supporting you and nurturing you once you get back into the business coaching and mentoring are both massive here so I know a couple of great organizations who do external mentoring which can be quite a nice way if your organization doesn't have something set up already you can join an external mentoring scheme where they'll put you in touch with a a woman who's been through something similar but perhaps in a different industry so you've got someone to go to and be like oh I feel like you know everything's falling apart somewhere you can go and safely have those conversations without worrying about it affecting your credibility in work um so yeah, that return piece is obviously absolutely critical. And then the fourth piece is around the what does career progress look like for mothers? So we've, you know, we've talked about how lots of mums get sidelined and lots of mums feel like they don't move on anymore. So actually organisations that say that they're really, you know, they're really gunning for their women and they really want them to to move into leadership. How are they supporting that? So, you know, are they bring them through on talent programmes? Are they offering them training? Have, have women's careers moved on in the time since they've had children or have, have they stagnated? And again, I think that that piece there is really interesting. Interesting. And what we do is we work with businesses to look at all of that. So we look at it from a data point of view. We look at it from a, an opinion point of view at various different lenses through the organisation. And then we produce a scorecard and a set of recommendations to say these are the things that you that you need to do. Um, and we give them like a this is what a base level looks like. So, you know, that might be things like statutory maternity, but, you know, maybe a bit of a top up through the way to the gold standard where we'll pay you in full for 12 months for you to be off. You 
you can split that with your husband or partner and um, do that however you like and so I think it's it's all it's all of those nuanced pieces at those different levels that really impact what it feels like for a woman to be able to go away and come back again and um, I touched on line managers earlier. So one of the biggest findings in the report, and I don't, again, this probably isn't surprising if you've been through it, is that the the single kind of point of failure or point of success is the line manager. So they 100% are first agree. and last. Yep. Yeah, they're first and last port of call throughout from the second you announce your pregnancy through to when you come back and, you know, they decide who they put forward on talent programs and training and things. And I think if any of those interactions are negative or, you know, poorly handled, you know, any lack of empathy and lack of understanding, the impact that that has on the woman who has gone on maternity or was on maternity is just monstrous oh, and, it, and it yeah yeah exactly and the any any negativity around that the majority of them will end up leaving so it's a there's a real call out for organizations to be much much better on that front as well yeah I know from a personal experience I had a bad return to work for my first son mm. the manager wasn't supportive even the person in HR wasn't supportive pretty much making up the rules as she went along and lucky that I had a good friend of mine who is an employment lawyer and another friend of mine was in HR and I was and also had advice from my husband as well and I just said look I can't you know what's am I right or wrong and if I didn't have the right advice around me I probably would have given up about actually fighting mm-hmm. to go back but particularly when I had two good friends of mine saying no Karina you're in every right yeah. what they're saying is incorrect I would have been one of another statistic that have gone oh is this worth it and things like that I was lucky I was resilient and pushed forward and held up my own but trust me those conversations were nerve-wracking when you're going in and they're yeah and they're pretty much just like no you're not coming back on your terms and why do you want to come back Tuesday to a Thursday everyone wants to work those days like it's just crazy like it's what works for you and your family but they were not considerate of you the language the tone it it was not a good return to work then my second time round, I was reporting into the CEO and she's like come back whenever you want. You can come back the days you want. Pretty much I will have you whenever you want to work. I was like, this is such a different way of working. And she's a mum herself, mind you, with a bit older children. It's two different, completely different um, approaches and made such a difference. And I think you've you touched on something really important there. So it's, it's I, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm pregnant, I feel so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then those first those first few months after having a baby, I just feel like I've got no defences. And when you're expected to have tough conversations, you know, where you've kind of got to fight your corner, you're just not in the headspace for it. And then you might go and talk to an employment lawyer, which can trigger a whole set of processes that you might not want to be triggered. And even then, you know, they're, they're doing their job. They can be quite cold and, and hard about yeah. things. And I just... Like I said, it's a really vulnerable time. It's just not. It's just not a time when you need to be sort of fighting, and you're wanting to be fighting. It takes some real steel and grit to get through that. And again, I just think organisations that are making women do that, it, it's just not right. People keep saying to me, "Oh, this is about doing the right thing," and I'm like, "Yeah, it is about doing the right thing." So think about how you're treating a pregnant lady or somebody who's just 
just had a baby who probably hasn't slept, probably still smells like vomit. You know, give them a break. Like, just treat them with a bit of empathy. This is it's, this is a real human human thing with and real basic needs here. Mm. And people think about the short term element of it. They're like, oh, it's just a return. I'm like. But if they actually take that long-term view, they're probably going to have a very engaged, loyal, long-term employee that will be with them for a while because the mum wants, as you're saying, a real flexible workplace around around that. So it was that was that that came sorry quickly that came out in the report really loud and clear. So when women found somewhere that accommodated them and were able to give them what they needed, they were holding on to that job for you know for dear life. They weren't going to let it go, which I almost think well actually that's not necessarily the healthiest either because you know they're potentially going to get stuck in stuck in one place sort of doing one thing. And so it needs for for more places to be on board with this. So there's still that sort of good natural movement, that ability to progress and that sort of thing. And just as part of your research, you touched on a little bit earlier about you with your accreditation work, but are you seeing some organisations doing best practice? So what you said about your, your accreditation around culture mm-hmm. leave, return to work and career progress, are you seeing organisations that are doing that and then that's also keeping women retained and also being able to level up and yeah yeah you're seeing these support structures that actually validates what you were saying yeah I want you to know that they do exist yeah (laughs) exactly they do they do exist and I think this stuff matters to organizations to give you some comfort I have been contacted by so many businesses saying okay cool what what do we do what do we do to make this better I think one of the problems has been we alluded to at the beginning that women women have been silently leaving so we've just kind of been letting this happen because we've been sort of pacifying ourselves by saying oh well it's okay they want to go off and they want to be with their baby actually that we know that that's not true and we we don't want to go off and we're all pretty darn annoyed about the fact that this is what's been going on and businesses recognize that so lots of them are reading things like this report like like the the ones that you've referenced and they are wanting to do something around this like we've got some great companies I'm actually trying to work with sort of the best ones in each sector who so I can really showcase some of their work and we can we can educate other businesses on how things work. So a couple of great examples. There's a company over here called Zurich who, when they do their policy development, rather than doing it behind closed door and sneaking onto the internet never to be seen again, they act, they write a draft policy, they take it down to their staff canteen, they invite people to come and talk to them about it and it's a real collaborative experience. They'll have sort of a couple of weeks where each policy is in focus you know, and then they they take back the proposal funded to their board and say that this is what our people want. What can we make work? What can we not make work? There's another marketing agency I spoke to the other day who are 100% on board with outcome-based working. So they literally give their employees a piece of paper saying, this is your, this is your job. This is what we're trying to achieve. These are your expectations in terms of clients. And, and that's it they don't care when you work they don't care where you work they don't care how you work you could be on a beach in Hawaii for all they care so long as you get your job done and you're there and you'll need it and interestingly they were referred to me by one of their clients who claim their employees to be the most motivated the most engaged and the best at delivery that they've ever worked with which I think says says a massive amount I, I could go on with loads of examples I think I think at the moment we're 
there are don't get me wrong there's a set of companies who are really good at a lot of this stuff one of the things that I'm trying to do with the accreditation I guess is bring more companies more consistently up to standards so to say right to be good for you know to be good for parents and working parents this is the base set of standards that you need to hit and this is what really good looks like so we'll uh, start to we'll start publishing our aspiring careers after babies badges very soon with the first tranche so I have to look out for it (laughs) yeah are you seeing that there's a big gap so there's obviously companies that are doing things really well and I even see that in Australia there's a really good band and generally it's the big corporates that also have the money to invest Mm. in this are you seeing besides that small organize that the sorry I don't know how small that marketing that marketing agency yeah. is, like are you seeing some smaller businesses see the the value of this and investing in it, or is that where you're seeing yeah. that in that SME level? Because that's some of just my observations in Australia. There's like people say in some smaller business, oh, I don't have time to invest in this. Money's tough for some sectors. Should I do this or should I make this a focus? Yeah. I think I don't think all of it is financial support and I think that's what's interesting so obviously there are you know there are some employee benefits that cost money and there is topping off of maternity pay that costs money and they they are two that matter but I also know lots of people who will you know be willing to work for a smaller organization with the right values knowing that that's one of the things that that they don't get because that's what they want to do and that's what they're driven by and I think a lot of this comes down to what's the culture of that business and and lots of smaller businesses have the the ability to be more family friendly as I would call it comes much more easily so you know they do have they're happy to have sort of kids coming into the office and they, they you know they're much more understanding about having to leave for pickups outcome driven working can actually work much better for smaller organizations or much more easily for smaller organizations than it does for big corporates because I think that the bigger you become and the more the more sort of process driven you become which obviously happen tends to happen as you get bigger that can be more difficult I don't think it's impossible but I think it's more difficult whereas small to medium organizations it's much easier for them to much easier for them to be like that and they get to dictate the culture of their organizations much more easily because everybody is within reach and they have access to them so yeah I think there are some financial parts to it but the rest of it is is you know how a, a line let's take the example of a line manager being supportive and empathetic that costs zero pounds yeah. <laughs> what that needs <laughs> that needs some decent training and some support from HR might be a cost attached to that ultimately though it needs somebody humane and empathetic and, and a good communicator and a good communicator exactly you know that that doesn't cost money that is that is all about this is this is the acceptable way to work around here and this is how we expect you to behave so again I think it comes back to the values of the organization Mm -hmm. and what it's like to be part of it yeah and as you say you know sometimes yeah I've heard the statement culture eats strategy for breakfast so some of these organizations may have the (laughs) the greatest strategy in the world but the culture will certainly eat it up and you know it's it's really important and as you say it's you know good leadership is, is important and I'm sure firms want good leaders and managers anyway. And right. so just that, that communication, I guess, in all walks of life with our partners, with our village, with our employers, it's so integral. 
absolutely and it's a I think particularly in organizations it's a top-down thing isn't it so again I go back to this role modeling piece you know what are the conversations that happen around the boardroom table are you know do they know about each other's family one of the questions that I, I ask organizations when I go in is do you do you know the name of your CEO's kids do you know how many kids they have do you know how many times they do the school run do you know that for the rest of your board members because to me that feels like a if if you know that about the people who are leading your business, then actually that's half the battle won because that conversation's already happening. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so important. And what do you think the future of work is going to look like for parents? So obviously there's some trends and things like that that, that you've mm-hmm. already spoken about. But from your report and also what you're seeing in the UK, and I think the UK in some regards is a little bit of ahead of Australia, but what do you see that's coming and the impact of like your report hopefully will have on making organizations wake up and because often they'll be like oh yeah that's nice but when they've actually got the cold hard facts in front of them it's hard to ignore yeah it is and I think so for me businesses broadly fall into one of three buckets at the minute so there were the ones that say I get this I'm putting the time into it and I want to do something about it and there are lots of the businesses that I'm talking to at the minute then you've got the businesses that are falling into this middle ground of well we saw what happened with COVID but you know we prefer it when people are in the office we're going to ask them to come in three days a week because you know that that it feels a bit weird if they don't and I think they're quite an interesting group I'll come back to those in a second then you've got the ones at the other end who you know we've all read about some of that I'm not going to name any names but you know we've all read about some of these awful cultures where they're like right everyone back into the office I want everyone here from eight till six this is what we look like I think it what I think what will play out will be really interesting. So I think though the organisations at that end of the spectrum that I've just mentioned are the ones that will, I think they'll they'll attract young talent and they'll potentially have high talent, sorry, high talent, older, uh, older generations working for them. But I think they will really lose out on that middle ground and eventually they will be forced to change because you can't continue to operate like that. I think these the businesses in the in the middle bucket will be the ones that will start to lose out in a big way to talent when people like the woman I described earlier who had her three job offers if if assuming each of those job offers comes from each of those buckets they're almost always going to go for the one that gives them the flexibility and the freedom over their lives um and I suspect that dawning realization might make them think, hang on a minute, we probably need to have a have a look at this. We know that lots of organizations still don't spend enough time thinking about thinking of long term enough about their talent planning. But we're we're all hearing the conversation about talent wars around, you know, people people not being able to find the right people to fill jobs. And I think I think it it will play out to the extreme and they will be forced to change. The good organisations will only get better and will be ones, I think, that move towards, as we've said, much more outcomes driven working. There's always going to be organisation. There's always going to be a need for controls and things. But I don't think I don't think that that outweighs the 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 possibility of um, purely outcome driven working. Yeah. And how do you think that obviously women all uh, and working mothers all rejoice that? But is there anything that you're saying that is it? then also giving then women the confidence to then, you know, have those kind of conversations. So I know even five years ago you wouldn't even have sometimes the conversation about, oh, can I work from home pretty regularly and things like that. So you thinking that that's also, you know, potentially going to see more female leaders yeah. is what we talked about at the start about, you know, breaking some of those glass ceilings and and having more diversity on the, on those boards? 
I think the the whole diversity piece is directly linked to all of this, isn't it? So when we're talking about what you know what women and mothers need, it's not just about women and mothers. There are, you know, it's everybody who looks different to what we would currently describe, I guess, as a as a typical sort of older set of leaders. And I think that I, this is one of the things again that I often say to businesses is that these, if you can make these changes, if you can become more flexible as an organisation, if you can prioritise development, look a bit longer term at your at your talent planning than sort of just what happens over the next two or three years this won't just benefit women it will benefit everyone interestingly you'll still get pushback from some men sometimes kind of saying what's wrong with things and I think all of the amazing work that is happening at the minute all of the noise that's being made you know reports like this one and other ones that say hey look this is the this that make the very clear link between gender pay gaps and inequality and leadership etc all helpful helping form the business cases for this and I like to think we'll get to a point where organizations just can't ignore it you know if they'll if they really start to struggle from a a talent perspective which we know some of them are hopefully people within that organization will be shouting loud enough to say we need to do something about this from a mother's perspective I think you know hopefully working from the inside to get more organizations to be much more public with their policies will will be one side of it I think from the outside we just need to all be more demanding but we need men to do it too you know we don't we're easily labeled the noisy you know pains in the whatsapp for <laughs> being the ones that are always asking for this stuff but actually there is there's evidence that in men under 40 in particular there is a a real sort of sea change in the contribution that they want to make to family life and how present they want to be for children and I think getting them to speak up a lot more so this isn't just coming from women in their 30s but actually it's coming from men at all ages as well I think will make a, a massive difference. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, I know my husband has fought. He's, they, his office said to him, no, can you be in the office, I think, four days a week? And he wants to then work from home two days a week. And so mm. he then pushed back and said, no, my wife's also got a career. And for some of the partners in their firm, they're not used to having, you know, a, a wife that works as well as them. And so, yeah. yeah, he's pushed back and said, no, look, I want to be around for my kids. I want to, you know, he does more drop off and pick up some we do. I'm not saying like it's perfect, but he's also then instilling some of those changes and also pushing back and saying no like yeah, I wanna, and you've I also got to, if if our kids grow up seeing this and this is what's normal and this is the expectation we always talk about me and my husband are just like that our parents were both fairly involved in ho- at home and our dads were probably you know starting to transition into that doing a bit more at home so that became far more normal for us mm. when we grew up I hope that if our children see us all working in this way particularly our sons there's never going to be a well hang on a minute that why you know what that, that conversation that difficult conversation should never come because they'll just expect to play that sort of role in their children lives yeah I've got two sons and that's exactly the same I've got I feel actually a lot of pressure to be that to provide those instill those values and provide that that leadership (laughs) like please if I teach you one thing so Jess I know there's so much in the report is there anything else that you wanted to just highlight or cover that you think could be you know important to you know make sure that people are aware of or take away as a next step from from reading, from reading the report. Obviously, we'll include all the report in the show notes. I know many people listening will follow me on Instagram and also LinkedIn when this report came out. I was like, this is amazing. Read this report, everyone. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, is there anything else you want to sort of leave people with as a, okay, read the report and then maybe do X? The only, the only other thing is, so I was really 
concerned before I published the report about the negativity of it because I think it feels although it's validating a lot of the stuff that we already knew it felt like quite a heavy piece of research to put in there you know there were some you you looked at it there were some really kind of quite harrowing stories in there and so that if I was to if I was to send people away with anything it would be one of one of hope, one of things are changing, one of be reassured by, as I said, the amount of businesses that have reached out and said, oh, my God, we've started to look at this and we're we're one of the statistics in the report and we want to change, which we are obviously we're, we're obviously working with them to try and change for good on an individual level, things you can do. But be demanding. And I and I, I say this to sorry, I say this to women all the time about, you know, asking the questions, demanding flexibility, demanding from your husband, your partner, a more equal share. I think we owe it to ourselves and our kids to to try and equalize things and to sort of pick up the baton from from where women before us have left off and and yeah, really try and take this fight forward. I can't wait to see how your report continues to have ripple waves across you know organizations particularly in the UK but I'm certain around the world as well even to spark off conversations so thank you so much for today's chat I know that as soon as I saw your report I was like I have to have you on the (laughs) podcast to chat about this this report was amazing so thank you so much for your time Um, you're totally welcome thank you where can people find out more about you and also connect as I said I'll include the report in the show notes so connect with me on LinkedIn. So I'm on there as Jessica Hegren or get in touch with me at jess at thatworksforme.co.uk. If you've got any questions about the accreditation, about the report or anything to do with, you know, personal circumstances, even if I can't help, I can probably point you in the direction of somebody that can. Well, thank you so much again, Jess, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, look forward to seeing where the journey takes you. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.